Holy Spirit, you inspired the Scriptures to be a faithful and true record of things that happened, of things that uh, are going to happen, but even more importantly, of the words that God wants to say to us to change us, to shape the way we live, to form in us the image of Himself. And we pray that we will have hearts that are open to receive your word today. Amen. So these past weeks I've been giving you this definition of Christian faith. It is faith in God through Jesus, His Son, by the Holy Spirit, in accordance with the truth, in accordance with Scripture. Uh, I disagree very much with some people who have, you know, specialist faith teachers, faith movement. Faith is not a power we operate. Faith is not focused upon an outcome in itself. It is focused upon God. Faith is Godward. Jesus said, have faith in God. And the definition of a whole Christian life is the just, the righteous, the upright, will live by faith. And that's not just how you become a Christian, it's how we live as Christians, by faith. Paul says, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved, him, loved me and gave himself for me. Now, there are about four or five subjects I've got in my head over coming weeks. This is the one that came through the most quickly and I can get down on paper, so to speak, screen, in fact. Faith and forgiveness, which is why we did that video earlier. Faith and forgiveness. How many of you know that there's an ancient creed called the Apostles' Creed? It's actually a bit later than the Apostles. It's about 200 odd AD, but never mind. In the Apostles' Creed, a very historic creed of the Christian church, which is a statement of faith, it says this, I believe in the forgiveness of sins. In the forgiveness of sins. By forgiveness, in English, we mean to release someone from judgment, from condemnation, from debt, or from punishment. You forgive them. But the root Bible words are really very simple. The root Hebrew word, nasa, means to lift, to carry, to take. You remove something from them. And the Greek word charizomai means to give favor, to show grace. Simply, to show grace. Grace. So the Bible's sense of forgiveness is to show mercy and grace, to lift or take someone out of debt, judgment, condemnation, and punishment. Then we're going to start with being forgiven, God forgiving us, and then we'll go to forgiveness, our dealing with forgiving other people, and then some practical application. First of all, we're forgiven by God through faith in Jesus. This forgiveness of God didn't suddenly appear with the new covenant, with, with John the Baptist and Jesus and so on, but it threads through the whole of the Bible from the beginning to the end. So that King David, who wrote many wonderful Psalms, could write this. He said, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. How did God forgive sins back hundreds of years? That was probably 700 years or so before Jesus came. How did God forgive sins? Well, on the basis of his mercy, but also on the basis of the penalty of sin being paid by a sacrifice. Under the Old Covenant, animals were sacrificed in offerings, including offerings for sin. People brought an offering to be forgiven for their, what they knew they'd done wrong. And once a year, the high priest brought a, a, the blood of an offering to the very most holy presence of God in the tabernacle and made atonement covering for the sins of Israel. By that one annual offering, of, uh, offering, the sin of the whole community was forgiven. Of course, that sin offering was only a shadow of the real one, which was yet to come, the giving of Jesus up on the cross. We are forgiven our sins by God, 
on the, not on the basis of anything we do, nor because of a repeated event or ritual in the calendar, but because Jesus appeared once in time for all time and made once one offering for all sin in, the pla in our place on the cross at Golgotha. So in fact, the sins of every believer in all human history, from Adam to the very last Christian who believes, maybe in the moments in which Jesus is coming in his second appearing, every one of us who have believed in Jesus are saved by the blood of the Lamb. From the beginning of time, Abraham is saved through faith in Jesus and the blood of the Lamb who is then for him yet to come. We believe in the forgiveness of sins. We believe that no matter what a person has done, they may find forgiveness from God through trusting in Jesus the Savior. Now, forgiveness of sins doesn't mean that every consequence of our behavior in this life is simply removed. Those who have broken criminal and civil laws may face trial and judgment and sentence, even though they become believers. Thank God many people in prison become believers through Alpha courses particularly. Someone who's become a Christian may have a very, uh, you know, be very conscious struck, and stri struck stricken about, about all their wrongdoing and may go to the law and confess their wrongdoings and face the penalty. The kingdom of God and the mercy of God and human government and law are two very different realms. They operate on different standards. But it's a foundation of Christian faith that we who believe in Jesus are forgiven our sins through trusting in Him. But then, there's forgiving others. Why forgive? Because Jesus teaches us to do so. I'm going to jump into John, to Luke 6. Uh, I'd like to have read from verse 27, but let's go back. Forgiving others. Jesus teaches us to forgive sins. Luke 6, 37, judge not and you shall not be judged. Condemn not and you shall not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Jesus says that phrase, forgive and you will be forgiven, a number of times in a number of ways. I'm going to look at just a few of them this morning. He goes on, give and it will be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, will be put into your bosoms, says the NKJV, but really that's kind of lap. When they measured out corn for somebody in the old days, you held out the, the front of your robe, your overgarment, you know, which was one piece, kind of buttoned up, whatever. You held it out and you, you were given as much as you could carry. So if you had long arms, it was, a, it was good for you because you could carry more. Be poured into your lap, for with the measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Now in that passage, the whole passage from verse 26 onwards, Jesus gives us three reasons why we should forgive. Three reasons. First of all, because you're doing to others what you wish them to do to you. You want people to be generous to you and kind to you? Go and do it. Then, because you're behaving like your Father in heaven. You're learning to be like your Father as you're generous and you give, and as you forgive those who offend you. And then thirdly, because the measure you use will be measured to you. Jesus taught us to pray in that pattern prayer. It's a kind of daily prayer, really, because it talks about daily bread, God's daily supply of, of, of grace and help and material things to us. And in there, there's this phrase, isn't there? Forgive us our debts or transgressions, 
as we forgive our debtors or those who transgress against us, those who offend us, hurt us. So you think, well, that's okay. Forgive them, Lord. I forgive them. You forgive me. But then Jesus kind of doubles it up because at the end of the prayer, he says this. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. The Lord Jesus told at least two parables about unforgiveness. The first is the unmerciful servant. It starts with Peter saying to Jesus, Lord, how many times shall my brother sin against me and I've got to forgive him? He'd got this thing about forgiving people, but he said, up to seven times? Can I, can I do it for seven times? And then it changes kind of thing. He said, Jesus said, I didn't tell you seven times. I'll tell you what, 70 times seven times. Anybody got the maths? 490. If you're still counting at 470, odd shame on you. In other words. And then Jesus told a story about a servant who'd been had a huge debt. It was like millions of pounds. And, and, and he, comes, he has to come before his master. The master says, give me what you owe me. He says, I can't do it. I haven't got it. And the master forgave him all of that debt. He goes away having been given for millions of pounds of debt. And he meets another servant who owes him a bit of money. Not a lot of money. Just a bit of money. And he says, give me what you owe me. And he says, I can't pay you. I, I haven't got it. He calls the jailers, he calls the, the, the kind of lawyers, and he says, throw him in prison until he pays him back. The chief master hears of this, and he says, bring that guy back before me. And he says, you wicked servant, I forgave you all of that, and then you go and practice, throw this guy in jail? Throw him in jail too. And Jesus finishes the story by, so my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. Then there's another story, the story of two debtors. The Lord Jesus was criticized by religious people for spending time with tax collectors and sinners, the off-scourings of the earth, the lowest of the low. One of those religious people who looked down on people like that, a Pharisee, invited the Lord Jesus to supper. While Jesus is at supper, and, and they reclined, leaning into a, a table on the floor, a bit like a picnic indoors, right? You're all kind of down on the floor, and there's the food in the middle. A woman who was known for her immorality, she was known as a sinner, perhaps a prostitute. In fact, I wonder whether she was the woman that Jesus forgave in John 8. I just made that thought connection this week. They arrested a woman caught in the act of adultery. What happened to the man? Nobody knows. They just grabbed her. And they brought her before Jesus said, this woman was caught in the very act. What do you say? And he forgave her. He forgave her. Was it this woman who came into the room? And she, she sat behind Jesus. She's by his feet. And she washed Jesus' feet with her tears, wiped them with her hair, and then smoothed fragrant oil over them. And the Pharisee was offended by this. So Jesus told him a story. Here's the story. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 coins and the other 50. When they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave both of them. Tell me, he said, 
tell me, which of them will love him more? And the Pharisee, whose name was Simon, said, I suppose the one who forgave more. He said, yes, you've said right, said Jesus. And this woman, when I came in here, you didn't give me anything to wash my hands, and you didn't give me a towel, and you didn't anoint my head with some oil, you know, which is a bit like kind of dealing with the sunburn. You know, that's the idea there. But this woman hasn't ceased to wet my feet with the tears and to wipe them with her hair and to anoint them with oil. I tell you this, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. And he turned to the woman and said, your sins are forgiven you. Faith, go in peace. Those who've been forgiven much love much, those who are forgiven little may not value that forgiveness very much. So here's the question. How much have I been forgiven? Do I think of myself as not much of a sinner really? Or as one whose debt was so vast to God I couldn't even begin to think about repaying it? And the punchline Jesus is implying here is this. My gratitude towards and appreciation of the mercy and grace of God towards me will directly affect my attitude towards others. Whether I am gracious, generous, and forgiving depends upon my appreciation of how generous and merciful and forgiving God has been and is to me. Now let me make a little adjustment here. Forgive is not the same as forget. People tell you, if you forgive, you've got to forget. Well, I'm not sure that's true. When we forgive, we release people from condemnation and vengeance. From our hearts and hands, we surrender them into God's hands. Now, he may judge them. He may have mercy on them. That was Jonah's dilemma, wasn't it? Go to Nineveh and, tell, and preach them, and they, so they repent. He says, if they repent, you'll forgive them. And they're our enemies. They've done horrible things to Israel. Don't tell me, go and do that. He knew there was a possibility that if he delivered God's word, they would repent and God would forgive them. And that gave him a problem. But forgiveness does not mean ignoring the facts. We don't ignore important lessons. We should learn to be wary of charlatans and boasters and seducers and fraudsters. And by the way, I get a, we get a phone call in our house almost every morning from people who want to rip us off. All right? Our laws exist to deal with offenses and offenders. The response of the Christian in the church is not the same as the responsibility of human society and government. It's the responsibility of government in society to hold wrongdoers to account, to punish evil for the good of all. That's the argument of Romans 13. The human authorities are there to do God's job in punishing evil. So we as Christians choose to forgive, but it's sound wisdom to choose not to go back there to be ripped off again. There are relationships that need to end Businesses we should not deal with again. To set some guards for our own safety. We're not called to return to being defrauded or abused or oppressed. We may have no choice in the matter when the civil authority of the state persecutes Christians and that's happened throughout church history again and again and again. All you can do is suffer with dignity and with faith for the name of Jesus. But where we can resist evil, we should. We should call it out. Not resist evil with evil, but by facing it up and saying, this is morally repugnant, this is wrong. 
Beware of those who will turn Christian forgiveness to their own wicked advantage. Someone may even have said this to you in your life. You must forgive me and you must forget what I did. Let me suggest to you an answer to that may well be this. You might be surprised by my saying this. I do forgive you, but that means I'm releasing you from my judgment into God's hands. But this relationship is ended. That history stops here. You don't have to say amen, but you might. (laughs) There is a cost to forgiveness. Yes, you have to get yourself together. You've got to trust God. You've got to do it in faith. You've got to depend upon his supply of grace to help you to do it. That'll come. But there's a cost to unforgiveness too. Firstly, within ourselves, if we do not forgive, we carry a burden of vengeance and bitterness and resentment. And listen, we are not God. God is just and holy. He can reserve all his anger against sin until the last day, and then it will all be poured out. All right? He waits to show his judgment. But we, we, can't, we can't live with that. We can't store that up. Here's a very fundamental scripture. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. That reference is from Deuteronomy 32. Paul uses it also in Hebrews 10. The way we give place to wrath is we give the place to God to be wrathful, and we won't, have, we won't touch it. We're not going to do the wrath thing. That's his business. All right? To carry wrath within us gradually destroys us. Let me picture it to you. It's carrying a full and open beaker of acid. Every bump causes a spill, and every spill causes damage to yourself and to people around you. We've all come across those people who are angry and embittered. They may have very good reason for feeling that way, but for their own sake and for the sake of people around them who they care about, they need to release that burden and pour the acid away by forgiving them. Now, godless counselors, psychiatrists, psychologists, and I, I forget which is which, they kind of understand this wisdom. And many quotations about forgiveness you'll find online aren't even Christian quotations. They're just common sense. But we know it from the teaching of the Lord Jesus himself who supplies us with the greatest foundation and reasons why we need to forgive. So here for Christians is the most important reason we should forgive and the greatest cost to us if we do not. Greater even than the beaker of acid thing. Forgiveness connects us to God and his grace. If you do not forgive, neither will your father forgive. Jesus repeats those words about forgiving others in a number of occasions. One of the most surprising is in Mark 11. And it's the incident where Jesus curses a fig tree at the beginning of Easter week. And the next day or later that day, different versions have it. The disciples said, look, that fig tree's withered. And they asked Jesus a question, which is a good question, but not the question they really should have asked. They said, how did that happen? And Jesus said, have faith in God. Surely I say to you, if you say to a mountain, be removed and cast and say, don't doubt in your heart, but believe that those things you say will be done, you will have what you say. Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you'll have them. It's a lesson about faith. But then he goes right, in Mark 11, goes right on to say this. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him 
that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. You see, if we're praying that pattern prayer regularly, as we get to that point of saying, as we forgive the, guess what? The Holy Spirit may just say, John so-and-so. You know, Susan so-and-so. And you have to go, oh, yes, I'm sorry, Lord, I need to forgive them for, yes. And you do it. All right? When you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive them. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. I'm not going to water down the words of Jesus. I take them for what they are. You see, God wants us to know in full his grace and his mercy. But we need to learn to handle grace and mercy. It's not not a one-way street. It needs to be a, a flow of traffic. I receive God's grace to communicate God's grace. I receive forgiveness to be a forgiving person. To live in the mercy of God, we must learn to practice mercy. The life and way of faith is a life and way of forgiveness. And of course, this all goes back to the cross where Jesus prays for his executioners. And whether that was just the Roman execution squad or even for the Jewish authorities who surrendered him to the Romans, I'm not so sure which whether it's both or some or one or the other. But he said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. From the cross, Jesus forgave the people who were killing him. And we can get strung up about someone having hurt our feelings. I'm not saying they don't deserve your anger. uh, they don't deserve to hear about your hurt, but actually you can't afford to be unforgiving towards them. Ephesians 4 says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. We have a particular duty to do this as Christians with Christians. Brothers and with brothers, sisters with sisters that we maintain grace, we maintain peace between ourselves by forgiving hurts, by forgiving those who've offended us, who've tripped over their words and left us with a bad taste, maybe. We forgive it. We get grace and we communicate grace. And we don't have to go in their face and say, do you know what, I've forgiven you for that. Just do it before the Lord. Let him off the hook. All right? If we're the children of God, we are learning to become more like him. Grace and forgiveness received should become grace and forgiveness shown. And this is the life and way of Christian faith. It's absolutely essential part of being a Christian. That we live by the mercy and grace and forgiveness of God. And if you don't love much and you find it hard to forgive, go and have another look at the cross. Measure yourself as one of those that Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. That's you. You're included in the prayer. The size of his mercy is so vast. It, It doesn't just cover all my sin, and there's a good bit of that, but the sins of the whole world. That's how big is the mercy of God. That's how great is the atonement that Jesus' sacrifice made. 
And if you can't get to grips with God loving you, understand this, that's the size of God's love in Jesus. Let's pray together. And then we're going to break bread. I do hope you've got one of those little containers with you. Let me just read to you Matthew 6, where Jesus says this, as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. We'll do that in a moment. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and said, drink from it all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for the remission of sins. It's because Jesus bled and died for us that our sins can be taken from us. They can be remitted from our account. They can be removed from our person. But I say to you, I'll not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. By the cross of Jesus, by the blood of Jesus, your sins, my sins are remitted no longer counted against us. While we do this this morning, if there is anyone that you are holding to account still in your heart for something they did and said or whatever it was to you, and I know that could be something pretty deep, pretty big, I just want to urge you to take the moment and say, simply as you like, Father, I forgive that person right here, right now, as much as I know how to do it in my heart, I, I forgive that person. And I commit them to your hands, out of my hands, into your hands. For vengeance or mercy belong to you. Vengeance certainly doesn't belong with me. All right? Can you do that? Take a moment. Trust the Lord Jesus and choose mercy today. So let's do this together. Jesus took the bread. They were just tearing up bits of flat bread and dipping it in the stew. Jesus took a piece of bread and says, take and eat this. This piece here is different from that. This symbolizes my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. cup of the fruit of the vine, the grape. Jesus said it symbolizes my blood which is being shed for you to remit your sins, to remove your sins, your guilt, your debt from you. And in this moment, Lord Jesus, we take away our condemnation and our judgment upon others around us and we hand it over to you. It belongs in your hands, not in ours. We forgive them in Jesus' name. And we thank you again that we receive your forgiveness, not just once for all time, but oh God, again and again, every day, you're our forgiving Father. And we want to stay close to your grace and to your mercy. In Jesus' name. Amen.
Well, it's pushing up towards 12 o'clock, but we're going to sing some songs together. By the way, if you need any more help, encouragement on issues of forgiveness, do make contact. We'll talk on the phone. We'll get, we'll get on Zoom. We'll talk together in some way, okay? Or at the end of the morning here, maybe before you go home. But please don't struggle with forgiveness. Though I know it can be a struggle. It took me a good many weeks. Twice in my life it's taken me quite some time to get to the point of being able to forgive and let it go. But it's worth it. It's worth it. Don't carry the beaker around, please. All right. Some of you might want to have that image. <laughs> Debbie and that team, please come and lead us in two songs to close our meeting this morning. Then I'm going to come and pray, and then we're going to close the live stream.